This is the Novel Marketing Podcast. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. I'm James L. Rubart. And this is the show for novelists who hate marketing but still want to become best-selling authors. This is the third and final episode in our series on branding. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to the first two episodes yet, you might want to go back and hear those first. It'll help make sense of what we're about to say in this episode. But there are no podcast Nazis watching you to see if you actually do that or not. So. <laughs> no, we we won't be tracking you. So. <laughs> so, Thomas, in the first episode, we talked about how authors and writers can discover their brand by looking in the mirror. And then in the second episode, we talked about looking at your readers, how authors can look at their readers to define their brand. In this episode, we're going to talk about how you can look through your readers to define your brand. And there's probably people out there right now going, well, what do you mean look through your readers? So there, g- give us a brief rundown. Yeah, there's actually a wonderful commercial that illustrates this. It's the uh, Dove Soap did a um, series where they would have women describe themselves to a um, sketch artist, like a police sketch artist who couldn't see them, and he would sketch uh, a picture of the woman. And then they'd have a, somebody who'd met the woman um, just briefly describe the woman, and they'd have the sketch artist sketch um, based off of that uh, encounter instead. And invariably, the um, uh, the friend or the person who just met the woman ha- described the woman in a much prettier way. The sketches, they would show them side by side. We'll have a, a link to it in the show notes. It's a very powerful um, image. And so instead of looking at the mirror, often what we see when we look at ourselves in the mirror, even if it's a metaphorical mirror, can be a lie where we're not seeing ourselves as how other people see us. And when it comes to branding, how you see yourself is really ultimately not that valuable. It's a good starting point. It's a good step one. We did a whole podcast on it. But ultimately, what really matters is what other people see when they see you. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. And we touched on this in in a couple of the in the first and second episode on branding. But why we're going to park on this is because it is so important. Back to that phrase I love so much. It's impossible to read the label when you're standing inside the bottle. We need to go to our readers and ask them, what's on, what's on the label? Please tell me what's on the label. And as Thomas intimated, it's <laughs> 99% of the time more positive and more freeing than what you see. And more resonant. So that's what's more contagious. That's how people describe you. It's what makes more sense and is ultimately more effective. So it's not just more positive, but it's also better uh, for marketing. So, um, Jim, what's an example of somebody who's done this well to find their own brand? Well, I, I, in one respect, I'm not big on taglines. Um, uh, but in this case, a tagline really works well. And that's Brandilyn Collins, seatbelt suspense. That's her tagline. She's gone as far as to trademark the thing. So she really, everything she does revolves around seatbelt suspense. And she says, I love that because it puts pressure on me for my next book. It better be suspense that's so good you feel like you need to put your seatbelt on. But she did not come up with that by saying, oh, I, I'm going to come up with a, you know, a fun line. She actually researched it by looking at what her readers were saying about her again and again and again in emails, in Amazon reviews, in Barnes & Noble reviews, et cetera, et cetera. People would come up to her at conferences and she drilled down and found those phrases, and it wasn't just one phrase, found numerous phrases that kept coming up again and again and again. And then she honed that down and that down and that down until she realized that's what it is. So in a very real sense, her readers wrote her tagline. She didn't. 
That's right. And we have that whole story. If you want to listen, we talked with Brandilyn Collins on episode 26. Just go to novelmarketing.com slash 26. Another example of somebody doing this is Scott Adams. He's uh, the writer of the Dilbert comic, uh, which is one of my very favorite comic strips of <laughs> all time. I would put Dilbert in comic, Calvin and Hobbes, and Pearls Before Swine are my three, my big three that I could just read all day long. Um, but if you remember in the early days of Dilbert, Dilbert was probably 60% at home and 40% in the office, maybe 50-50. And Scott Adams did a revolutionary thing in the early 90s, and he put his email address. And you can tell how long ago this was because it was scottadams at AOL.com was the email address <laughs> that he put on there. And um, that's all he did. He didn't tell people what to do with it. He didn't point it out. But he started getting emails from his readers. He was the first uh, cartoonist uh, to do this. And it was very telling for him very educational to get that kind of direct feedback from his readers and he found out that his haters and his fans universally liked his office place strips better than the dilbert at home strips and they they realized and saw in scott adams what scott had not seen in himself yet and that was that he's the best writer of workplace humor comics mm-hmm. that there is no one does dilbert better you know in in a kind of white collar town like austin it's the very first comic in the newspaper because that's the one everyone goes and same looks here for. same here in liberal seattle you yeah know, it's, it, it's number one it's, it's a very it's a very first one and you know people weren't posting dilbert cartoons in their houses on their refrigerators it wasn't garfield but where were they posting them Now, if you've ever worked in an office, I I challenge you to ever find an office in the United States that doesn't have a Dilbert cartoon posted to one of the cubicles (laughs) somewhere. And, you know, there have been offices that have passed rules about not posting the Dilbert cartoons because the bosses felt threatened that they were being made fun of. But, you know, he didn't realize that that's who he was. He thought he was making kind of a broader commentary on kind of, you know, engineer culture and, you know, Dilbert being a loser at home talking to his dog. And that's not what people wanted to read. And so once he saw who he was in the eyes of his readers, he did a pivot. And now Dilbert's 90%, maybe 95% in the workplace. He almost never, if ever, does, you know, uh, episodes or strips that take place at home. And that triggered a huge growth for him. So he was kind of struggling in the early days. He was still working a day job at Pacific Bell. And it wasn't until after he did the pivot to 100% work that Dilbert took off and was able to suddenly fund his life uh, where he was able to quit his job and do cartooning full-time to enter an elite club of folks. Perhaps the one thing harder than writing books professionally (laughs) is doing syndicated cartoons professionally. There's maybe a dozen or two dozen people in the world that make money doing that full-time. Uh, and he, he became one of those folks. But it wasn't until after he saw who he was through the eyes of his readers. One of the other ways to do research, and this is for indie authors, this is for traditionally published authors, this is anybody that has a book out there. One of the great ways to do research on what resonates with your readers is to use Kindle. So if you've got a Kindle, you go to that Kindle and you'll see, and I do this with my books, right, where I see... Uh, an underlined section and it tells me right there 75 people or 175 people or 1700 people like this section 
And I go, oh, well, that's interesting. That must really resonate with people. So that helps me as I'm thinking about how I market it, thinking about the next book I'm going to write, the themes I write about. That is incredible feedback because they, they're not required to do that, of course. They just liked it enough that they're going to highlight it. So that tells you that it really has resonance. And so often the seeds of what of your ultimate success are planted in what you're doing right now, but it's not necessarily what you're doing right now. Pixar, uh, you know, famous for doing cartoons, didn't, uh, you know, Toy Story and Finding Nemo, they didn't start off as a cartoon company. They started off as a computer company. And they had this, like, side project that a few guys were working on where they would use the computers that they were developing to show off what they could do by creating cartoons. And that ended up being the thing that Pixar was known for and they ended up stopping and they don't make computers anymore. They're no longer a computer company. They're a cartoon company. And I see that so often with authors. Well, they'll start off writing something. They'll look and see in Kindle, wow, this one small piece of my writing is what everyone loves. I should do more of that. And that reaction, the give and take with the audience is what helps them pivot into a brand that resonates and um, attracts and multiplies and grows and all of those things that you want as an author. And how often have you had the situation where, and let's use some of you are public speakers, so let's use that as an example, or or even you're you're at a party and you're telling a story, and the story that you're telling as a speaker, um, that you think it's just kind of a throwaway, quick little anecdote, that's the one that people come up afterwards and go, oh my gosh, that had such massive impact on me. You're going, really? So we don't often see the things that impact people. We think it's going to be something else. And it can be harder as an author. As a speaker, you have the benefit of the instant audience reaction. You say something and you're not sure if it's funny or not. Well, you find out if it's funny really quickly. Whereas writing a book that's supposed to be funny, it's a lot harder. It's almost <laughs> like you want to watch someone read it in real time. And so you don't see a lot of humor books uh, for that reason because it's very difficult uh, to do. And so you want to look for ways where you can get that kind of feedback from your audience. Uh, not, and I'm not saying go read your book, you know, at the Barnes and Noble, you know, live and have people sit there and, and listen to this. So I'm talking about, so we've talked about Kindle. What are some other ways to get that kind of feedback, that honest feedback from your readers? You go to Barnes and Noble and you read the the five star reviews. And this is where you have to have the rhino hide thing going on. Barnesandnoble.com. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, yep. barnesandnoble.com, sorry, or amazon.com. Uh, <laughs> and, and you read what people are saying. You, you read the five-star reviews where you, and you find out, oh, that word keeps coming up again and again and again. Or you read the one-star reviews and you go, oh, I'm doing this again and again and again. That's not, maybe not a good thing. See, and I so would that, say don't read the one-star reviews. That that's not going to help you find your brand. It may help oh, you become no, a better I, writer. Go ahead. Right. I agree. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. In terms of finding your brand, yes, you go to the five-star reviews and you you see those phrases that come up again and again. We talked about Brandilyn doing that. And you see that phrase that keeps coming up again and again and again and again. That's a great way to describe your writing for people. Because if, if a big flock of people like that particular phrase, that means it's going to resonate with a greater flock of people that maybe don't even know about you. That's right. Uh, other ways is to uh, talk uh, with your readers, but more valuable than talking with them and asking them questions, because we already talked about that in step two, but it's to listen to them talk to each other about you. So you're very tempted to watch people getting in a conversation about your book or about you on Goodreads or on Twitter or on Facebook, and you want to jump in and be a part of that conversation because that's good marketing. No, let the conversation happen. 
and observe it and see how they're describing you. That's far more useful for you and it gives them more room to have that conversation. If I can't feel like I can talk about a book on Twitter without the author jumping in, I'm probably not going to have that. I may not have that conversation on Twitter. I may just choose to have it other places. And so you don't want to be a part of every conversation. Uh, that's, that can be a little creepy. But you do want to listen to those conversations to see what's resonating because you might describe your book in a certain way but hearing how a fan of your book describes it to a friend of theirs, they may describe it using totally different language. And chances are the words they're using and the phrases that they're using to describe you and your book are better words and phrases than the ones you would use to describe yourself. It's so true. I So I'm a professional copywriter, right? So I should know how to do this. And I think I, I do an okay job in most instances. But I have had on more than one occasion, somebody has done a blog post on my book and, and I find out about it just through Google alerts. And so I kind of sneak in and I'm the fly on the wall and I listen to their description of the book and it's like, oh my gosh, that's so brilliant. It's way better than I could do. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to use that. So you're definitely right about that, Thomas. So this third step is to look through your audience. What do you see when you see me? And this is the hardest step. Uh, it's one you can't start with. Uh, you have to already have some books out. So, you know, a brand is not something that you just kind of you fill out some documents at the beginning of your career and then you're done. A brand is an evolving thing. It's something that grows with you and that you have to grow into yourself. It's it's a powerful thing. It's something you can pass on to your children sometimes. Um, you see that in certain industries where you'll have somebody develop this very powerful brand and then they hand it uh, to a son or to a daughter who then picks up the torch and continues. Uh, a good example of that is Frank Herbert in the Dune series. He wrote four or five Dune books himself. Then he hands the series off to his son who picks up right where he left off and now it's this huge franchise so this is hard work this is you know there's no we i know we've talked about this three episodes you know maybe 45 minutes an hour we've been going on but this is something you're going to have to keep working at to get but this third step looking through your audience you'll be very tempted to skip this step but it is the most useful if you're willing to do it um we have, like Thomas says, we've done 45 minutes or an hour on branding, and, and really, we truly have just scratched the surface. So it is something that we're going to circle back to at some point in time and do a little bit more on. But for now, hopefully, that's given you at least a foundation to start from and probably more homework than you wanted. But again, we encourage you to do that homework because it can make a significant difference in your career. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions about branding or if you're thinking through your uh, brand yourself, go to novelmarketing.com. Feel free to leave a comment on this episode or send in a question. If there have been any questions that have come up while you've listened to this, we have a Q&A extravaganza coming up. We do them from time to time, and we'd love to answer your question in that episode. This edition of the Novel Marketing Podcast has been brought to you by an absolute uh, excellent plugin for your WordPress site. It's called My Book Table, and you can go to mybooktable.com. Very easy to remember. And essentially what it can do is make you an affiliate of Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and CBD and all these different websites where you plug it in, let it go, and it can make you extra money. So go to mybooktable.com for more info on that. Yeah, get affiliate money selling your own book so you get paid <laughs> twice. <laughs> once from the publisher and once uh, from Amazon. Um, we would love, uh, if you would, 
uh, leave a review and, uh, for us on iTunes. We'd love to see what that is. See how you describe uh, us. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's a little scary. Uh, but you know, we have these little taglines. You know, we have at the beginning, end of the episode. You know, for authors who hate marketing but still want to become best-selling authors. But you can go and look and see the other reviews that people have left on iTunes and see the words that they used uh, to describe us. Maybe you can use uh, your own words yourselves. And who knows, you might find your phrase uh, being quoted by us in a future episode. <laughs> I love it. So this has been the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between.